Hope you have been enjoying the journey through Zechariah as much as I have. I want to invite you to join me as we continue. Turning to Zechariah chapter 4. As we approach this text, it begs a bit of a question for us. Maybe a question that is on your heart, a question that was most certainly on the hearts of the people in Zechariah's day. That is this. Will the Lord accomplish His purposes in the world? And, maybe more pointedly, will He accomplish His purposes in my own life? If He's going to do that, how is He going to do it? When all I see in front of me are obstacles. With those questions on our heart, let us pray, asking the Lord's blessing on the reading and preaching of His Word. Would you bow with me? Father, we come, to, we come to this text that gives us such a picture of Your work in our world, and I pray that You would show us how it is a picture of Your work in our own hearts. Would You bless us as we approach Your Word this day and show us Jesus. In His name we pray. Amen. Friends, this is the inerrant and infallible Word of God. And the angel who talked with me came again and woke me like a man who was awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? I said, I see and behold a lampstand all of gold with a bowl on the top of it and seven lamps on it with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? I said, No, my Lord. Then he said, These are the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain and He shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven the eyes of the Lord, which range through the whole earth. And then I said to him, What are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? And the second time I answered and said, What are these two branches of the olive trees which are beside the golden pipes from which the golden oil is poured out? He said to me, Do you not know what these are? I said, No, my Lord. He said, These are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. This is the word of the Lord. Isn't it exciting uh, to see uh, these pictures of a building? We've been uh, praying about this for a long time. We've been waiting to uh, be ready to move for a long time, and the Lord has brought us to this place. It is, it's so exciting, but it can also seem overwhelming. 
Because we look at this and, and we wonder even now, how do we get there? Where do we start? That's where our hearts go when we're faced with a task that seems so big, so overwhelming. Is the Lord really going to do this? That may be on your heart. Do you think it might have been on the hearts of the people in Zechariah's day as they considered the call to rebuild the temple? I think most certainly it was on their hearts. And maybe that is why they lingered over this rebuilding process for so long. After all, the foundation had been sitting there for 17 years. (laughs) And so now, in the midst of their lingering, the Lord gave a vision to Zechariah and through Zechariah to the people. But was the vision really about the temple? Or maybe I should better ask, was it only about the temple? Let's look at this vision. Let's explore it and try and answer that question, beginning with the lampstand. What is this lampstand that Zechariah saw? For the angel had woke him up from sleep. He, he's, he's rubbing the sleep out of his eyes. And, and he gets this, this vision of this beautiful golden lampstand. Now even in his sleep, his sleepy state, Zechariah would have understood in that context that the lampstand was meant to represent the temple. The lampstand occupied a prominent place in the temple and it represented God's presence before His people. All through the Old Testament we see this imagery in the tabernacle as the people wandered through the wilderness. There was one golden lampstand in the holy place. Later, as Solomon would build his glorious temple, the temple that was destroyed when the Babylonians ransacked Jerusalem, it contained ten golden lampstands pointing to God's glorious presence among His people. But if we look forward, as it was said last week, to me, you can't understand the book of Revelation without the book of Zechariah. And I also believe you can't understand Zechariah without Revelation. We see the image of the golden lampstand once again. And there... In Revelation, the golden lampstand is representing the church. Not the building. The people. The bride of Christ. We must see this vision in the context of Zechariah's day, in the context of our day, and in the context of its final fulfillment. In Revelation, this is no ordinary lamp. This is no ordinary golden stand. As Zechariah describes the vision that he's been given, he he gives us this picture of of a giant golden bowl. The bowl would have held the oil that would have been the fuel for this lamp. And off of that bowl were seven lamps. Now, each of those lamps had seven lips, or maybe we better understand it as seven wicks. If you imagine in your mind a menorah, 
the, the, the Jewish menorah that would be um, lit at Hanukkah. Maybe you can get a picture of this golden lampstand, but Zechariah's golden lampstand was seven menorahs around the, bowl, the golden bowl. Do the math. There's a picture of 49 individual wicks burning brightly in the night. And that is the glorious picture that Zechariah was awakened to. This candelabra that was emitting a tremendous light into the darkness. Imagine waking up in the night to such picture. It would be startling as it shined in your face. It would be confusing. It would be disorienting. Now think about the meaning of that vision. Zechariah would have known that it was a vision of the temple completed, beautiful, glorious, functioning as according to its design. That was the vision. Now remember the reality Laying before Zechariah was a bare foundation. A foundation that had been laid 17 years earlier as the first exiles came. They they did this work to, to lay the foundation and then they just left it. Disillusioned. Confronted with obstacles on every front. Sounds like a disconnect, doesn't it? That That foundation and then this glorious image. It's overwhelming. It's to us, and it was to them. So the question that Zechariah must have been asking was, how? How is this going to be built? And the Lord gives him an answer. A beautiful answer in verse 6 that, that needs to be a motto for our church. The Lord tells Zechariah that this is the word to Zerubbabel, who was the governor of Jerusalem, not by might and nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. Might uh, has this sense of numbers. A, a big, broad army. Power? speaks to their strength. And the Lord is saying it's not numbers. It's not worldly strength. That's where we go oftentimes, isn't it? When we're faced with a seemingly impossible task. How can I, how can I get enough worldly resources around me to do this thing? Whatever this thing might be. When we're faced with that impossible task, but the Lord says, no, you're thinking in the way of man. That thinking is too small. You cannot, you will not accomplish my purposes trusting in the strength of man. I will do it. I will do it by my Spirit. I will do this. Again, this vision near term is pointing to the construction of the temple in Jerusalem. It's pointing beyond. It's pointing beyond to the church of Jesus Christ. It's pointing beyond to the kingdom of God that will grow to a multitude that no one can count. 
that we'll one day stand around the throne of God singing in a glorious chorus that we can only dream of. And our dreams will pale in comparison to the reality. And it is not by might. It is not by power, but by my Spirit. We'll get to the application of this vision in a moment. But first, let's ask ourselves, how is this golden lampstand to be sustained? Because it's one thing to build it. It's another thing to keep it going. Think about our salvation. Uh, We're tempted um, to think in terms of of saving grace and securing effort, sustaining effort. There's a temptation for us, to those of us who speak of grace, to, to cling to this truth that, that God saves us by His grace alone, but once we are saved, we've got to cling to it with everything in our might to hang on and hold on to the salvation. The vision that the Lord gave Zechariah corrects that thinking in terms of our salvation. It corrects this thinking in terms of the functioning of the kingdom of God. As he tells us this, he he points to uh, the meaning of the olive trees. This lamp is fueled by oil, olive oil, sustained on the surface by trees where the olive oil comes from. It's on the surface, the meaning, but you've got to see that this is pointing to more than just some oil for the lamp. It's pointing to an endless supply of oil. An endless supply of anointing at the hands of the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord. Now, in the context, those two anointed ones who stand by the Lord are Joshua, whom we heard about last week in the vision of the high priest. Joshua, the one made clean by the Lord our God. So he might stand before the people to intercede on their behalf. And then Zerubbabel, the anointed kingly figure in Jerusalem, the one who was in the line of King David, but because they were under the umbrella of the Persian Empire, he was not king but governor. These two fulfilled the anointed, appointed offices of the Lord and were called to offer spirit-led leadership for and intercession on behalf of God's people. Zerubbabel's leadership, it would be necessary to build the temple. Joshua's intercession was fundamental to the work of the temple and both were means by which God's Spirit would establish and maintain the kingdom of God. Now that is the basic understanding of this vision of the lampstand that was given to Zechariah in the night. But we are here today and we're probably asking ourselves, okay, so what? What does this have to do with us? Well, I believe there is a clue hidden in verse 10. As the Lord speaks of those who despised the day of small things. We live in a world where everyone desires to be a world changer. 
you high school students, you, you know. It's, it's, it's built into you. It's, it's spoken over you. That's the expectation. That you're going to go out and do big things. It's what's expected of you. And you have to go no further than the scholarship essay. They're all some riff of one main topic. How are you changing the world? Because if you have any worth, you're out to do just that. We hear it constantly. And so it becomes the way that we measure effectiveness. We, we count. We number. Might and power. How many followers do you have? How many likes do you have? Because that is a tangible way that we can measure impact. The bigger, the better. The bigger, the more impact and therefore the more worth. But it's not just teenagers. Zach S. Swine, uh, an author, a, a pastor, a teacher, one of Michael's seminary teachers wrote a book appropriately titled The Imperfect Pastor. Guess what? We're imperfect in more ways than I care to think about. And in that book, Zach talks about this temptation on the hearts of pastors to do large things in famous ways as fast as we can. Does that sound familiar to any of you? In your own heart? Do you feel it? Do you feel this temptation to be, or not this temptation, but even this pressure to be a world changer, to do things in famous ways, large things in famous ways as fast as you can? We feel it. Because of that, we have no patience for the small. We have no Patience or care for the small things, but the Word of God applies this vision to us by telling us not to despise the day of small things. In Zechariah's day, Ezra chapter 3 tells us that there are those who were alive who had been around prior to the exile who had seen Solomon's temple in all its glory. And on the day that this temple would finally be complete those who had seen Solomon's temple gathered around and wept. But their weeping was not tears of joy. It was tears of, is this it? Is this all? We saw the glory and and now we have this. It looked smaller. It looked less glorious. And some of the people despised it. Look, if we're talking about a church building or if we are talking about spiritual growth, how do we measure? How do we measure effectiveness and impact? We're tempted, aren't we, to compare size. We're tempted to compare it when we think about the fruit in our own life to to look at It's someone else and and compare the the lack of fruit in our own life and then to despise what the Lord is doing in our own lives. We're tempted to look at our church, our ministry, and compare it to those that are more attention-grabbing, more crowd-drawing, and to despise the small. Do you judge effectiveness, even spiritual effectiveness, impact, In terms of the size of a building, in terms of the size of a staff, in terms of the size of a budget, 
We're all tempted. And there is a danger in doing so, in despising the day of small things, that we actually become an obstacle before the Lord. That we might become an obstacle before the Lord's anointed. Oh, let it not be. But for some of us, the temptation is not to despise the day of small things, but rather to despair in the day of small things. It's not becoming an obstacle, but giving in to the obstacles that are before us. Michael and I were talking about this this week. As we talked about uh, the beginning of the coronavirus quarantine, uh, Michael was talking about he was finally getting to a point where there was some traction in his work of evangelism and outreach in this community. There was traction in his connections at the YMCA. He began to experience this quarantine and, and lament over how he might fulfill his calling and his desire to do the work of evangelism in this community. And, and as he felt the walls closing in around him, there was this temptation to despair. That despair was a fear that his effectiveness was rooted in him. Guess what? We're not just talking about Michael. We're talking about all of us. We sense the walls closing in. We fear the small. We, we worry that the effectiveness is based on us and we despair. That this is just way too small. But that's not the end of the story. Because in the providence of God and by the movement of the Spirit, the Lord has opened up doors for that work of evangelism in ways that we could not have ordained, in ways that we could not have orchestrated so that He has been given reach throughout this community and, friends, throughout this country to know others and to share the gospel with Him. With them. It's the work of the Lord, not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit. And the warning for us to, to not despair in the day of small things. Zechariah's day, those obstacles before him seemed insurmountable. Simply read Ezra and Nehemiah and you will hear the onslaught of attack that the people experienced as they considered rebuilding the wall and the temple. It looked like mountains before them, but the Word of God tells us here that those mountains would become plains. Do you see the imagery? Those obstacles, they'd be flattened before us. Again, not by might, nor by power, but by the Spirit of God. Friends, the the message of this text is this. God's purposes will be accomplished. Do you hear it? In the day of small things, God's purposes will be accomplished. It was true then, and it's true now. And so the word rings true. Do not despise the day of small things. But this application is more than a negative warning. It is also a a positive do. There's more than a don't here. There is a do. His purposes will not fail because our God will grow the kingdom of God through the church of Jesus Christ. And so for us, It's a call to take comfort. To take comfort in His effectiveness 
and to take part in small ways. In the beginning, I talked about the disconnect between vision and reality. When you see an enormous task before you, a complex, complicated project, what are you tempted to do? To shut down. Because I can't figure out how I'm going to get to the end. But when we do that, we're looking at the task, we're looking at the world through a worldly cultural lens rather than a biblical lens. Because what we see when we look at the task before us through a biblical lens is that our God is in the small things. So much of what you hear today is something is big and mighty and therefore God must be at work there. God is in that because it's big. Look at Scripture. Look at Scripture. God began creation with one man and one woman. God established a nation through a family. God came as a man. He became incarnate, born in a barn. God is in the small things, and He calls us to take part in small ways. So embedded in this call to not despise the day of small things is an exhortation to simply begin. Simply begin the work of God in small ways. So what is that work for you? What is the call of God for you? Is it the call to some lifestyle change? Is it a call to obedience in a small way? Is it a call to study the Word of God? To begin to to work your way through Scripture. You, You look at this text and you think to yourself, how am I going to read the whole Bible? You begin. Could it be the call of God to use the gifting that He has given you to participate in a new ministry? Friends, we begin by beginning. Let's think about that in, this, in the call to pray. Do you believe that prayer is worthwhile? Really, do you? Look at your prayer life. I'm not talking about starting some new big initiative because that's what this mantra of being a world changer tells us. I've got to start the next version of the National Day of Prayer and then I will have done something. But do you believe that prayer is worthwhile? Not the big initiative, I'm talking about praying. Do you believe that prayer, small prayer, makes an impact? In 2011, our family moved to Trustful uh, to begin the work of planting Christ Church, and we thought that this church was merely a dream in our hearts. We knew one family in this community. We didn't know where we were going, what the Lord was going to do. And I remember early on that first fall, Anna went to visit a friend who was gathering a group to pray about starting Bible study fellowship. And the new friend introduced Anna saying that she and her husband had moved to Trustful to plant a PCA church. And the crowd that day was Jane Chamberlain. 
And Jane came up to Anna and said, I have been praying for a PCA church in Trustful for five years. Where were you in 2006? In 2006, did you imagine that you would be gathered here this day to worship our Savior? Did you imagine in 2006 that you would be gathered here to see the visions of a new building? I didn't. I was still a businessman in 2006. That was two years out from beginning a journey towards seminary. Where were you? Did you imagine what the Lord was going to do in your heart? Did you imagine the impact He would have on you? Did you imagine the impact He would have on your family? I didn't, but at least one lady began in the day of small things to pray. How do we apply this vision to our lives? We don't despise the day of small things. We don't despair in the day of small things. We begin in the beginning knowing that our God is in the small. What is this vision calling you to do? Well, first of all, it's calling you to take comfort that the Lord will accomplish His purposes. But then He is calling you to be faithful in the small things. Like beginning to pray. God gave... Zechariah, a vision of a golden lampstand. And in his day, that lampstand represented the temple. In ours, it represents the church of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God. These are big concepts. They're big realities, but God is the God of small things. And He grows the kingdom in the hearts of individuals. Maybe you hear that. And you're responding with some mixture of of longing and despair. Because you desire it to be true. But how could the, the King of Kings, who is building His kingdom, be small enough to be concerned about you and your heart? Surely He must be too busy to be worried over you. There's this vision points us to the true King of Kings who is in the small things. And it tells us that He will complete what He has started. It tells us that Zerubbabel will, would hold the plumb line over the temple completed. But Zerubbabel points to the greater David, through the line of David, to Jesus, the King of Kings, who will hold the plumb line over His kingdom. He is the true King who has secured life for His citizens at the cost of His own. And in Zechariah's day, the people would stand over the temple completed and shout, grace, grace to it. It was their blessing on this temple because they knew that what had happened among them was the work of the Lord. Friends, for the very same reason. We shout grace, grace to it as the Lord establishes and grows His kingdom one heart at a time. So let us reimagine what He is doing and will do through us. I told you where I was in 2006. In 2010, I, I found myself sitting down in the office of Dr. Mike Milton. He was the president of RTS Charlotte at the time, a former church planter, and he began to give me a vision for church planting with words that I will never forget. 
He said, James, when you plant a church, you are planting a golden lampstand that will shine the light of the gospel. And by the power of the Spirit, that golden lampstand will live beyond you. It will live beyond the original core group. That golden lampstand, by the power of the Spirit, will shine the light of the gospel until Jesus returns. In the day of small things, we must reimagine the impact of small faithfulness and see that one day around the throne of God, through this golden lampstand, generations who have come to see the light of the gospel will gather to sing praises to our glorious King. Friends, do not despise the day of small things. Do not despair in the day of small things, for the Lord is in the small things, causing them to grow for our good and for His glory. And He will accomplish His purposes. Father, this vision is glorious. It is, it is clear, planted in our hearts. Give us a confidence in Your work. Do so, we pray. In Christ's name.